we need to we need to rewire the thinking of the young Africans because until we change the quality of our thinking, there is no way the quality of our politics will change. Uh, constantly, we have inherited a history of uh, mediocrity, a history of um, being sub-human, third world ideologies, second class kind of education, uh, raw material production sort of Africans. And unfortunately, the disappointing thing is that young people have lots of energy, but uh, they fail to understand the system so that when they join the system, they don't go there to continue on the path of colonial legacies, but rather to break down the system and rewrite a new narrative for the young people of the 21st century. So I'm quite honored to be here. Let's uh, get going. We'll see as we are going along how we can share to do that, what I call social re-engineering, social rewiring. And uh, it, it has become a passion for my life to say, if there's anything I can contribute to the young people, it is to transform the way we think. In fact, to teach the young people how to think. I know it's not easy to say that, and it might sound like a tall order. When someone might look at me and say, so who the hell do you think you are? Everyone else can think, but no, no, it's not like that. You go to China, you learn, you go to Europe, you learn, you go to America, you learn. By the time you come back, in all honesty, it's no longer your brains that you have. It is the colonial brains that you have. And until someone stops you and say, Okay, the Chinese say, the Europeans say, the Americans say, what do you say as an African? We may actually discover as Africans not yet started asking ourselves religious questions, political questions, economic questions, fashion questions, entertainment questions, sports questions, medicine questions, food questions, which say in China they eat noodles. What do we eat in Africa? Then you go to Zanzibar Hotel and then they're giving an English breakfast. And you wonder, are we in Britain here? What happened to, to Tanganyika breakfast? What happened to, to, so even our food has been colonized, our fashion is colonized, our religion is colonized, economics is colonized, and there's a lot of work for young people to, to, to carry out. There is a lot of work that you need to focus your minds on. And I wish our schools can begin to prepare the young people for the 21st century. I thank you. Well, and I think you are the type of education that our young people need right now, we need right now. And so it's good that you're out there sharing your knowledge, writing books. Apparently, we as Africans don't write books. So when someone passes on, then, you know, they go with their knowledge. So I'm think, I think I'm ready to start this. I'm ready to start the conversation. So excited about it. And I think you're going to be sharing a lot of things that I agree with and I've been thinking about, but then you're going to ex probably explain them to a greater length. So thank you so much for coming along. And um, I've been I've been following your content. I've been listening to you, watching your podcasts. And you you speak about a message that should be clear to every young African in the continent. However, most of the times you don't have these discussions because they're not discussions that uh, 
comfortable to have. And one of those has been along the lines of religion and how religion has been used to indoctrinate individuals. And now we are referring to young people in the African continent. And when you speak about religion, you are someone who went to study theology and you are a bishop for, I think, over 30 years. And then later on, you're like, well, I think now it's time for me to go back to my African spirituality. And it's a path that most people wouldn't understand if one was to choose to take such a path. And so what led you as a bishop to say, I think it's time for me now to go back and focus on African spirituality? What, you, what you're looking at are solutions, not, not dogma. We're not looking for theories, but we're looking for solutions. I think the problem of Africa is not, is not a religious problem. We have economic problems. We have cultural problems. We have technology problems. We have diseases. We have war. And if we say Jesus is the answer, then we need to ask what is the question? What, what is the question? And when religion comes into the space, the question is what answers is religion bringing to the party? So you cannot just come to the party and say we were bringing the information that are created in the image of God. Beautiful statement. What does that mean? Or oh, then it means that you are in the image of God, you are good. Okay, fine. So what, what, who, what is this God saying to me as an African? Where is my land? Where are my resources? Where, where is my territory? And this whole idea of God choosing the Israelites and giving them land that belongs to the Palestinians, and then you create war, then you ask yourself, is God okay to create such types of wars? Why can't you just create another land for your favorite children instead of putting and giving land that belongs to other people to other people and create war. So religion needs to be honest enough to start answering these questions, critical questions. So we cannot be having so many churches and yet people are so poor. We cannot be fighting each other and yet we claim that we are Christians. So is our God, whether he's Muslim or is Christian, are we, are, is this a war of God? And what are these gods saying about butchering and killing each other? In the name of what? Is this concept of religion being taken as a, as an, as a, as a solution for everything is not right. What made me transcede and change was the shortfall of religion on responding to social ills and social issues, inclusive to colonialism, inclusive to cultural oppression, inclusive to liberation of our history, our medicines, the liberation of our educational institutions, the value of our oral traditions, the celebration of our time, holidays, Easter's, Christmases, Guy Foxes. You look at all these rubbish holidays that populate the Christian calendar and we are celebrating what we don't even know and then you stop as a theologian and say, man, these things are not gelling up. It's not making sense that uh, people are going to church to drink the blood of Jesus, and it is okay. People are drinking the blood of chickens, and then they are demons. You know, these ones are burning incense, 
and it's called the Catholic priest or the Anglican priest is doing a holy thing, the African burns incense. He is a demon. And then you are supposed to be calling on the God of Abraham. When you call on the, the God of Kambara, Genyerere, you are a demon. Then you want, if, if everything that is African is demonic and everything that is European is deemed as holy, then maybe God is foreign to the African. Because if God is a problem with the African, then maybe he never created the African. Or rather, the African must look for a God who understands that these are black people and that God must understand the black problems and that God must come up with black solutions. Because we're in this mess as Africa because of Christianity and Islam. They, they, they came onto our space telling us that they're bringing something that is better. We look back 500 years later, our divorce rates are sitting at 70%. Our murder crimes are rocketing into the sky. Rape and crime is on increase, but on every street corner there's a church. So maybe it's high time we become just objective and true that this thing is not working because people are becoming Christian, but people are not becoming morally and ethically accountable to themselves, to what they believe, to the community around them. So that's why Ubuntu for me is right now much more appealing. Because Ubuntu says, I trust me with me. Ubuntu says, you can, I, you can trust me with you. Ubuntu says, you can trust your things with me. Because respect and trust are the currency of Ubuntu. So my transition with the former colonial religion uh, came into space where I started to ask those critical questions of what is the social response of the church to the ills of colonization and deprivation and hunger and slavery and diseases, does this religion have solutions to that? So I've not yet reached where I want to, but it's a path that I've started. Ask those questions and I'm still looking for answers. I thank you. I think when we speak about religion, one of the things that we'll think about is that religion is used as a tool to guide people morally in the communities, right? And so the question becomes, what happens when you remove religion from the question? What happens in the society? And I think this is something that Friedrich Nietzsche explored on his book, God is Dead. It's an, it's an, it's an illusion to think that religion is a moral compass. It's an mm -hmm. illusion, a very evasive illusion. Because in the religion in the hands of democracy is actually started breeding chaos to the African family structures. Right now we are debating and fighting over LGBT issues and the religion is at the forefront of inclusion. That these things must have. So the white man comes with this beautiful book and they teach us the book. We read it also. We now understand the book. They come up a few years later. No, 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 no. What is written in the book is not true. What is written in the constitution is true. And the African must not question anything. He must go on with it. It started off with abortion issues. Now abortion is legal. People can do as they please. We thought of maybe uh, population control or women on a contraception. No one talks about cancer and other problems caused by those things. A few years later, they come around and say, no, nothing much. It's just some sex marriage. Oh, okay. Maybe people are created differently, uh, male, male, female, female. 
And as of the last one year or two years, we're beginning to see the full monster coming out of the closet. Children as early as 10 years, 12 years, must now be made into husbands and wives. People want to sleep with and marry dogs and cats. People no longer want to be called him or she. They want to be called they. So when you, when you use religion, particularly colonial religion, and you say it is a moral compass, I, I wonder if you have applied your mind to the damage that comes with being, being religious, but not being ethically truthful to the morality of the text itself. Because what religion right now teaches, particularly Christianity, it is not altogether in line with what the Bible teaches. I beg to be corrected, but I don't think that the present churches could even stand up and use the Bible to do anything. The Bible says when you collect your tithes, share them with the orphans, share them with the widows, share it with the strangers, share it with those that are suffering, the poor. No, the pastor takes all the money and eats by himself. Buys his cars and flies around, buys aeroplanes and etc. But they're using the Bible. Bring you the tithes and offerings into the house of the Lord. And the pastor has become the house of the Lord himself. And so when you use say, religion, when what happens when we remove religion from the community? I think that Africans were much better without these forms of religions. There's a time in our place where young girls could be escorted by men and would not fear that they would be raped. We were much better. We are much better off in the past where the values of the community resided in our hearts. We all loved our land. Our relationships were clear. Mothers were mothers. Fathers were fathers. Children were children. We would stand up when adults arrived. We would greet them with politeness. And so this whole concept of Eurocentric religion, unfortunately, it came with Eurocentric culture, where people now think that by being European, they are actually educated and culture is a hindrance to their growth. So to speak, you'll hear an educated African say, I don't do culture, I don't do culture. Oh, wow. Then the same person does not do culture, goes on to have a white wedding. And then, then you ask the question, since you don't do culture, didn't they tell you that actually a white wedding is white culture? You know, so which part, of, which part of it confuses you? You say you don't do culture, but you're practicing another person's culture. So the concept of um, dominant cultures is actually the fueling station of colonization. Because when you colonize people, you take over all the elements of their societal structures, how they marry, how they bury, how they live, how they eat, how they dress, how they educate themselves, how they pray. You take over everything. So we, need, we needed to step back as Africans to look at the project in its total frame so that we'll be able to appreciate how much damage has been caused on the African mind. But I think with our Ubuntu, 
we are better citizens of Africa than with our Christianity and our Islam. So Ubuntu is the solution? It is not even an alternative. It is the only solution that we have. Because Chinese are, are Chinese. Americans are Americans. Europeans are Europeans. But Africans, and apparently, we are not allowed, we are not allowed to be Africans. Because the world has a problem with an African. Because if an African should become an African face to face with a European, then an African is told what you are what you are looking like is not acceptable. You can only be acceptable when you look like me. But we have never gone to Europe and to China and forced them to be like us. So why do we give why do we give the European system so much power to an extent that they'll even tell us how to, where to, who to? When to, then what is sovereignty? Our independence as countries only leave us with a small little piece of cloth and a few paragraphs of a poem we call a national anthem. But other than that, the laws that our governments are running on are not African laws. They are Roman Dutch laws, which are European laws. So our African leaders are sitting in, in offices to manage the colonial system. Our pastors are sitting in churches to manage the colonial religion. Our banks are sitting in the bank to manage colonial money. Our farmers are sitting in their farm to plant GMO foods that contaminate the African continent. Our businesses are running to steal resources from Africa. So you, you begin to understand that the, 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 the entire framework of the liberation of the African nation in total, we cannot just talk about political liberation, and we stop there. Because political liberation is not even a piece of the whole cake. The real issues that must be discussed are issues of economic liberation, independence, one currency, stock exchanges, markets, Africans owning industry, owning their resources, converting their resources into manufacturing, selling final products, protecting their borders, security, uh, and, and, and so that we can begin to look at the 52 states of America becoming one country and the big problem, particularly with the young people who are educated. Once you start talking unity, people become very educated. They want to tell you why we must not unite. What, 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 what? Because this false Berlin Conference narrative of borders has, has become a religion, actually, that now we all want to idolize those small little stupid flags and those national anthems, as if there's any profit behind that. So reconstruction, uh, decolonization projects must not become myopic in their application. And as we look right now into the Benin, Burkina Faso, you know, Niger story, you look into the you know, Guinea-Conakry, Mali, you, in the Francophone I actually wanted us to go there. I wanted us to go there. We have we have been seeing a lot of coups in West Africa. And right now, I think people are now understanding more what's going on for those who are following the story of Niger and what's happening. Can you please tell us what do this coup means? And we saw that um, ECOWAS decided to say that, you know what, given the coup that had happened, we are going to be sending in our force to restore democratic leadership. And we are seeing the African Union supporting ECOWAS. And 
some of the claims that have been made um by 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 um Omar Tishan was that some some of the things that were going on with regards to the relationship between uh, Niger and France were things that they wanted to end and now we are seeing ECOWAS and AU supporting the well they're actually sending in the military to restore democratic leadership what does this really mean what's behind the scene and what don't we know what's really going on Africa Union ECOWAS SADC and all these African African this African this they must shut up and stop the hypocrisy they want to go to Niger to fight. They have not even been able to gather themselves to go and silence the war in Congo, which has been going on for more than 100 years. The, the bourgeoisies who are running Africa Union and ECOWAS, I want to send a clear message to them, a clear message to them. The honeymoon is over of lying to Africans. These coups that you are seeing that are happening, it's just a beginning. We are going to be seeing more coups. And why are we having more coups? Because the young people are finally waking up to discover that political freedom without economic freedom is continued slavery. So our African presidents get into power sign treaties with the Europeans, the Chinese, and the Americans who protect them while they are in power so that they can continue to abuse and steal money from their own people. Look at the president of Guinea, Conakry, who donates 25 million US dollars to rebuild a temple in France when his own people don't have clean water. This, this is the obsession of this francophone, Paris. You want to be known in Paris, but you don't want to be known in Zanzibar. You don't want to be known in Arusha. You don't want to be known amongst your own people. This is the stupidity of African leadership, where you steal money from your own people and go and bank it in Switzerland. If you bank it in, in, in Norway, bank it in, in London. Money from your own people. You, you, you move those monies and hide them somewhere. Mobutu Seseseko, the billions that are sitting in the, in the Swiss bank right now, even the Congo people can't access that money. And these people are, are coming around telling us about human rights. And human rights, but your economy is actually thriving on stolen money from an African leader whom you know, and your government is actually benefiting from that money. France, as we speak right now, is, is, is harvesting more than 500 billion a year from the African continent. You put your money in French banks, and when you want the money back, you are going to pay interest on your own money. So these France. leaders, these leaders who want to be known as French uh, door boys, I call them door boys. I even, even in my, one of my videos, I call them the hoofing dogs. Those that bark outside when the colonial system is sleeping on Egyptian cotton inside their house. So our presidents are literally security guards who back around the building, woof, 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 to, protect, to protect the system. So every African government, which does not ask the questions that I'm asking, 
becomes a, a crime scene. Because you cannot be in power to disempower your people. This is the foolishness of the African people. When we go to vote, we vote for people who don't have an agenda for transformation and change. And we wonder why are things not changing? Because the manifesto is not a manifesto of managing political strife. The manifesto must be that of transforming a society. Look at China. How have they done it? Look at America. How have they done it? Look at Europe. How have they done it? Why are our children drowning on the Mediterranean? Where are they going? What are they looking for? They're looking for opportunities. They're looking for employment. What is employment? Employment is factories. What is factories? It's taking raw materials from the ground, putting them into an industry, creating jobs, selling final products. So here in Niger, there is uranium, there is gold. Here in Zimbabwe, there is platinum, there is lithium. Here in South Africa, there is iron. Here in Botswana, there is diamonds, there is what? Instead of our leaders thinking, how do you develop what I call productive, firm, societally driven value chains? From, I wish I had all the money. I would get on the mine, dig up the lithium, follow the truck from the mine to Durban, jump on the ship, follow the lithium to China, get off the ship, follow the lithium to the industry, follow the lithium to the manufacturing floor, follow the lithium. How many other minerals are in this? You find that there are 18 to 20 other minerals which the Chinese are not paying for. They're just buying all. They get there, they separate these minerals. They take the other minerals, it's for free. And then they take that, they make the batteries, solar batteries, solar panels, and what, what, storages of power, Elon Musk, is buying the batteries and 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 then you stop as a government and say there is nothing wrong and this is the stupidity of democracy the government cannot be seen to be doing business the government can't be doing business their business is to regulate these educated fools who populate our parliaments you can only talk about government cannot do business when government is fully functional like american government what does that mean therefore you create sops state-owned enterprises in the railway system in the mining system in the water, in the power development, and, and et cetera. And these institutions then create the jobs. What's the moral of the story of you taking stones from Africa, shipping them for 5,000 kilometers across the ocean? You make lithium batteries. Then you ship them back in containers, 5,000 kilometers. And you come and sell those batteries at 8,000, 12,000 rand, small little block of lithium which now they call a battery, which is better to actually manufacture the batteries right here at home and then sell the batteries directly to the world. How many jobs will you create out of that? It is that kind of conversation we now need to start having. Zambia cannot be constantly exporting copper to the whole world and they can't even produce one cable. One cable in Zambia. You can't be constantly sending cocoa, cocoa and coffee to Europe. You can't even produce one bar of chocolate in Tanzania, in Kenya, we can't. So the politics has to change. And we are beginning to see the military young people getting frustrated with old liberation dogma. We brought the country, we fought for this country, we fought for the country, yes, we fought for the country, but we still don't have clean water. We still don't have a hospital. 
still don't have this. Why can't we have it? Because all the money is going to the same system that was colonizing us. Our leader is just managing that project. Anglo-American companies are running African economies. Come to South Africa here, the Oppenheimers and the Ruppets are running go to Zimbabwe. Same thing, the Lone Rose, Anglo-Americans are there, go to Zambia, Glencore, they go throughout Africa, you find these multinational companies that have their hands cooking the African economy. It's not allowed to function. It might just produce raw materials. It might just produce raw materials. We know what to do with the raw materials. Can you even believe that the Hiroshima bomb was actually made by the uranium from Africa? Congo. The Niger has no power, but is the highest, one of the highest producers. 15% of all uranium that is in Europe is coming from there in France, is running its power station from and, Niger, while yeah. Niger has no power. And it's actually on the bottom 10 poorest countries in the world. But the top, when it comes to uranium production. So instead of you worrying about politics, I think the real business is not politics. The real business is economics. We needed to change the conversation from political slogans to economic slogans. How do we translate, transform our resources into industry, into production, into employment and create, and if there's anything we are able to leave our children with, it is the Zimbabwe model. Take your land, all of it. There is a big risk when you do that. You get blackmailed, you get sanctioned, your money gets devalued, would rather die as soldiers than leave as slaves. And now when Zimbabwe has been dragged to the bottom of the food chain, then the news goes on. If you try to do that, you will become another Zimbabwe. You will become another Zimbabwe. You see? You see what we do with boys that don't obey? We, we can bring you down. Unfortunately, the people are the biggest investment any country has. And when people are, when people are resilient, when people are resilient, people are steady and committed, there's nothing that can stop them from achieving the goals that they want. I thank you. I was, I was actually shocked to realize that the U.S. had offered $1 billion for democracy in Niger. Plus, their largest drone program is in Niger. And now we are seeing the U.S. and France supporting ECOWAS and AU and to restore democratic leadership in Niger. And I think this goes ahead to show what, hap what happens in most African countries, really. And I think Niger is just one of those stories that we are learning about right now. So the, the Niger story is an African story where the Americans cannot say they want to invade Niger when they have already invaded. They're already inside. And you, you cannot be donating a billion dollars for democracy when you are actually the one who was sponsoring oppression. Now you're coming with a donation for democracy. I think that is hypocrisy of the highest order. What we understand is that they want to protect their interests. Let's not mix up words. It has nothing to do with democracy. The subject is not democracy. The subject is uranium and resources. How do you keep your hands on the resources? 
And when the army generals have now put an embargo, no more uranium, no more this, guess who will feel the pinch? It's America a few days ago that bombed Nord Stream, the pipe for gas from Russia, because they had a backup plan. The backup plan was destroy Russia and their gas will get uranium from Africa. Now this government comes around and stops the uranium from going there. So the pressure begins to mount up. Now they have their backs on the wall. Few days ago, Russia, America and France were not friends because France refused to cooperate with them, cooperate with them on the, on, on, on the Ukraine war. And all of a sudden, France and America have become brothers over a common problem. And the common problem now is oil supply. The real war we are talking about is that of resources. So France and America are quarreling and all of a sudden on a common ground of uranium, France and America have become friends and we know this will be another war, another Ukraine war. The only difference which I want to mention clearly is that we must be careful as Africans to, to allow either Europe, China, or America to use our grounds as battlefields when their own children and wives and families are drinking tea in Florida. And we will, we will, they will come and fight the battle. It's like the stupidity of Zelensky that you will destroy your own country with the Americans and the Russians. And when the war is finished, you remain sitting in a house full of rubble. If America wanted to fight Russia, why not just go there straight to Russia and Putin and Biden shoot each other? Let the war happen in America. Let the bombs happen in New York and in Washington rather than in Donetsk and in Kiev. And in, why would you allow him? That's why I always say in an African proverb, any foolish young man who, who destroys his father's house will inherit ashes. <laughs> if you burn your father's house, your inheritance will be ashes. And the African presidents, ministers, must wake up and smell the coffee and not allow African grounds to be used as military battlefields from countries from afar who are enjoying peace in their own homes. But because war is business, behind every war, there's a banker. Behind every bank, there's a business. Behind every business, there's a BlackRock, there's IMF, there's World Bank, there are military manufacturers, both of weapons and bombs, who are experimenting with their weapons. They want places they can go and prove and see if these instruments and weapons are working. And those things, they don't work for free. Like in Iraq at one time, a day was costing them a billion, a day. The question is, who is paying those billions? It is taxpayers' money. Taxpayers are being manipulated to think that their government is doing something very important in Iraq. But meanwhile, the war manufacturers, are, while you are gathering at the funeral parlor and at the, at the graveyard, some white man is standing in the bank, cashing <laughs> out on the spoils of war. While you are crying, you've lost your loved ones. Someone is signing a check of how much 
how many weapons did we supply? And where, where is my money? So at the end of the day, this has nothing to do with ideologies. Ideologies are just a play field for the fools. In the real business, it is economics, supply of weapons, and those that benefit from that, they don't benefit from peace. Because peace is expensive. War is profitable. Peace is expensive, war is profitable. Please help me understand this. Burkina Faso, Mali, and Guinea are siding with Niger on what's happening right now. And then you have the whole of Equus against Niger. Well, supported with the AU, obviously, and the US and France. What is really going on in West Africa? I mean, what, what are we not understanding out of this? Because when you speak about Burkina Faso, you're speaking about a country that is led by a military leader and people are thinking that, you know, well, he's probably back. Thomas Sankara's spirit is back because they're seeing that he's following in the footsteps of, of Thomas Sankara, who was, I mean, a brilliant leader for, for Burkina Faso, though he was only in power for three years and, you know, was assassinated. And I think that's the story that we understand when it comes to African leaders who are trying to create a good environment for their people to empower their people, I mean, uplift them and develop them in general. So why is it that we're having three countries siding with Niger in West Africa, and then we're having the ECOWAS, which is, uh, is, is led by Tinubu, President Tinubu Ahmed of Nigeria, siding against Niger? What is happening between these countries in West Africa? The, the, the thing that should have worried us is if the people of Niger on the morning of the coup, I wish I had heard how many people died there. No one. It's clean. And the people of the country, they want their country to run in a certain way. And who are you from another country to tell the people of a country that you don't like the way they are running themselves? Because one of your friends, this is the issue now, one of your friends, or your friends, who is now ousted out of power. You as ECOWAS want to come back and support him. I have a beautiful message I want to send to ECOWAS, particularly to uh, our honorable uh, uh, leader in Nigeria, the president of Nigeria. What's his name? Bola Ahmed Tinubu. Nigeria, Nigeria. Yeah, Bola. He's called yeah. Bola Ahmed Tinubu. Tinubu is in power through a system that we cannot even explain. It's very complicated. <laughs> it's very complicated. And if we should go on the same thing of democracy, I think Tinubu must be honest enough to say, is Nigeria running on democracy? Question number one. Question number two, the Boko Harame that is in Nigeria right now, how is Tinubu responding to that? Number three, the Biafra. The Biafra and the arresting of the leader of Biafra. Is that democracy? So before you can start to play the big boys game, which is a highly contaminated echo space of camaraderie amongst the old block boys who are friends to the international world leaders, be it in the US, 
or be it in Europe, who have their pockets full of money and bribes of oil, of gold, and they have mansions in Europe, and they are here as supervisors of the European project. If ECOWAS is not careful, ECOWAS will not survive the people. ECOWAS and Africa Union will not survive the people. The leader of Africa Union, Farke himself, Farke or Farke they call him, he has never said anything. We've never seen him here in Africa, anywhere in each, any country, saying anything about Africa, except a robot stooge body, a dysfunctional piece of body that neither speaks, nor breathes, nor thinks. There are real African issues we're talking about right now in terms of BRICS. I've not seen Farke appearing anywhere in those conferences. To say the least, that African leaders have entrusted him to become the president of Africa, so to speak, on paper, that's what it is like. But have you in Tanzania felt the presence of Farke in any way? Either a youth development or, or, or HIV or, or COVID or, or, or stop the war in Congo or stop the war in South Sudan or, 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 or stop the, 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 the militias in, in, in Somalia, the Al-Shabaabs and the, the ISIS that, that are right now in Mozambique here, the Muslim guys. Do, do you even have an idea, Mr. Farke, where is Africa, which you are supposed to be leading? And you come around ECOWAS and begin to give young people lectures on democracy. But you have not been practicing democracy. Democracy is entertainment. What we are looking for are solutions of poverty, of disease. What do we do with African problems? And what we are seeing in ECOWAS it's only but a start. It's only but a start. And I want to warn all African leaders, particularly those who will be seen supporting sanctions, is a matter of time. Your, your, your turn is coming. And it, it won't be very far from what we are saying right now. In my generation, before I close my eyes, Africa will be united and the revolution has started. And we cannot begin to hug the Americans who are telling us about democracy when they are the ones who killed Sankara, when they are the ones who killed Gaddafi. So, but that, we are no longer stupid. We saw you a few days ago with the French, same people, Americans and the French, killed a person, bent him up, and the only thing that they have is a small little finger that they left. This is democracy where people choose their leader, but because the leader that the people have chosen is not in agreement with you, then you, who is outside, you want to dictate to the people how they should run, and if they refuse, you as an outsider, you come around because you want to protect the people, we are going to kill your leader, and after we kill your leader, we are going to give you a leader, and the leader we're going to give you is the one who is in agreement with us. At the end of the day, do we have a leader or do we have a puppet? <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe it when I saw Libya on the bottom 10 of poorest countries in the world. I was so shocked because I was going through that list today and I'm like, how the hell is this even possible? The, I mean, the narrative, fully... perception, 
perception and public opinion can be so twisted that people can be sold a lie and they believe a lie only to end up in ashes. Libyans themselves were told by the Americans that Gaddafi is a dictator, he's an oppressor, he's what? But go back and find out what the dictator did. He built gardens in the wilderness. He, children were born with money. Education was for free. Marriages were for free. You were paid employment galore. Libya was streets with milk and honey. And then a neighbor comes around and says, but he's a bad man. He's a bad, a bad leader. He's a bad leader. Let's remove him. <laughs> democracy, democracy, democracy. Walk to Libya right now. It is an auction of selling slaves, as I'm talking to you right now. The Libyans have been reduced from one of the most flourishing countries in Africa to a bread basket case. Why? Because when you are told lies by an outsider, you begin even to feel uncomfortable in your good experience. So the Iraqis are told, Saddam is evil. He must go. Saddam has gone. Iraq has collapsed. Syria, he's bad. He must go. Afghanistan, he's bad. He must go. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, he's bad. He must go. Vietnam, he's bad. He must go. When will the world also look at America and say, he's bad. He must go. If, if, if this is the way world politics wants to function, that when a group of people think that you are oppressing someone, they can come together and call you to order. Are we looking at a time when world leaders will also go to America and say, we think that America, you have been a bad big brother. We be a bad big brother. And I think you must go. And the intelligence of BRICS is to create a financial system in the backdrop of the American US dollar becoming a world reserve currency and begin to come up with solutions for African leaders, for development, for growth. And I hear as of yesterday, it's one BRICS dollar equivalent to 55 US dollars. What wow. that means therefore is that if Africans can align their currency with BRICS, uh, we can now afford to go to America, but Americans can't afford to come again. We can now afford to, to, to trade, and Americans will not be able to do that. And America is aware of that. Hence, war is their only solution. That's all they know. America is not an independent democratic country. It is built on slavery. It is built on colonialism. It is a, it is a genocide center of the Black Africans and the Red Indians who owned the land. It is basically a government that is running on stolen land, stolen legacies. And having done that, I think they want to continue doing that. They think they missed out on the World War I and World War II. So I think they're very excited about World War III and the benefits of those wars, wars as they bring profit to the American military institutions. But having said that, the ECOWAS, and African leaders need to start being more objective and look the enemy in the eye that we will be fools as ECOWAS to take your guns, black people, 
being managed by white people. And you go to Niger and Africans start shooting at other Africans because the white man is instructing them to do so. Who be fools for brothers to kill brothers because the neighbor who is in Washington, D.C. and in Paris said your brother is not a good brother, so please go and kill him. And you will take a sword and kill your own brother. Can I ask you a question? After you have killed him, who will attend the funeral? It, it clearly seems as if democracy is not working in Africa at all. I wrote a book entitled African Questions and African Solutions, where I run through the seven principles that manage the political economic systems. That is governance, that is uh, business and economics, that is education, entertainment and sports, agriculture, health and technology, and spirituality. And within those four frames, you're asking me question number one, which is on democracy and governance. The question is, the pyramids were not built on democracy. The Zimbabwe was not built on democracy. The Munumtamba Empire, Great Zimbabwe, was not built on democracy. The walls of Benin, civilization of Benin, was not built on democracy. In other words, for Africa to be where it is now, in terms of our history, we had other ways in which we governed ourselves. And for the sake of your viewers, I'll be very brief and concise. We don't have many laws, as lawyers claim. There are only three laws. Only three laws. Law number one is the law of self-preservation. Are you safe with yourself? Can you protect yourself? I, I, are you safe with you? Can you, can you preserve you? <laughs> can you look after you? Can you feed you? Can you wash you? Can you clean you? Can you be the nice person? Law number one, law of self-preservation. Law number two. Take care of yourself. Yes. Law number two, the law of family preservation. How do you join? How do you make? How do you establish? And how do you have families? All the laws that have to do with families will go into that basket. Laws of family dynamics, speaking of marriage and etc and interpersonal relationships. That's, that, that, that's, and if I am good with me, then I will not steal from you. And your goods are safe with me as they are with you. I will not exchange value for value less. I don't come to you and I say, I bought, you, I bought a cow. That's a crime scene. You bought a cow with what? I bought a cow with money. I gave him 3,000 shillings and he gave me a cow. You have just stolen it. Because my cow that you took from me end of the year, that cow will give you another cow. And the money that you gave me will not grow. So you've exchanged value for value less. At the end of the year, you have two cows. At the end of the year, the money that you gave me is stagnant. And Africa used to do the butter system. You exchange value with value. So no one is robbed to have a cash papers in their hands and they don't have value in, their, in terms of wealth creation. So the laws of family preservation, 
speak of transactions that happen to preserve the family. Law number three, the land, the law of nation preservation. Land issues, boundaries, borders. So that those three laws, as an individual, as a family, and as a nation, how do we structure, how did we structure ourselves around those three laws? Democracy challenges those three things fundamentally. Number one, challenge is that you are not who you are. We will tell you who you are. You are not even a human being. You are just a number. What's your ID number? What's your number? What's your number? And people have been reduced from human beings to numbers and statistics. The laws of family preservation, democracy challenges that. You're not going to run your families the way you have been running your families as often. We'll tell you how to run your families. We'll tell you how many children you must have. We'll tell you who to marry and who not to marry. We will tell you. So there's no more family preservation. And ultimately, the law of land preservation. Democracy does not like people to have what we call sovereignty, self-determination. People choosing what they want to be, how they want to be, and who must govern them. And if you understood the fundamentals of democracy have to do with human life preservation, respecting other people's rights, respecting other people's cultures, and holding them as valuable and esteemed as yourself. But to, to me, that's the simplest definition of democracy. Where you respect me, I also respect you for who you are. So if democracy now comes around and does not respect a Zimbabwe, does not respect a person from Niger, does not respect an African, does not respect the family structures that I have as well. We've never gone to Europe and asked the Europeans to circumcise. We've never asked them to conduct rituals during funerals. We've never asked them to eat our food or celebrate on our dances. We've never asked them on our ancestors and etc. So who the hell do they think they are that they should come to us and tell us who to celebrate, who to love, who to hate? And this one thing we must also keep up very much aware and alert. But we must be careful as Africans to inherit other people's enemies and we make them our enemies. Yeah, um, Ukraine. All of a sudden, the whole social media is full of flags. Hey, me, Ukraine, me, Ukraine. A whole African putting a flag of Ukraine. You have never put a flag of Sudan on your profile. You've never put never a flag put... of... Congo. You've never. But all of a sudden, but, but again, this is perception. This is how you mobilize people. You, you, you inherit friends, and you also are told to inherit enemies. I mean that's ridiculous because it's it's so ironic because the whole idea of democracy is for people to have the ability to think for themselves and to be developed enough such that they are able to make the decision that affects their lives and yet as how you said you know you're told what to wear what to eat you know how to speak to people what to say what not to say how to think um and what not to think and it's so it's so interesting right? because most of the time nowadays it's like it's hard for people to think and the moment you have one person who thinks then everyone is also trying to oppose to oppose them 
we covered we covered about religion and spirituality and you said ubuntu is the answer for that please tell us a bit more about that i am because we are umuntu umuntu ngabantu you become because people are you come out of them and you remain in them and with them it's growing together loving caring for each other as we care for ourselves it's actually a, a higher form i don't even want to use the word religion because once you use that word we are already taking a, a fluid form of life and you're trying to structure it into a colonial mindset mm, an institution what, yeah what they might call the hegemony or a construct where the, or religion or what is religion then first thing you go there so so if you want to talk about religion so who is the god there do they have a trinity no so who is the holy spirit and you're trying to do what they call typology comparing this and this you cannot even compare african spirituality to a religion because we do not go to church as africans we become the mobile church religion is not an occasion african spirituality is a daily communication with nature and everything that is around you so when we are eating it is spiritual exercise when we are drinking it is a spiritual exercise when we are marrying it is a spiritual exercise when we are burying it is a spiritual exercise when we are cutting trees it's a spiritual exercise when we are killing animals for food it's a spiritual exercise when i'm crossing a river it's a spiritual exercise when i'm climbing a mountain it's a spiritual exercise when you are plowing your field it's a spiritual exercise when it rains it's a spiritual exercise when we go to sleep so in other words life is a continuous spiritual expression a continuous spiritual expression this many kids did not hear me the other day when i actually said Christianity is a schizophrenic organization because it teaches people to become this on this day. Then they fall back to who they are for the rest of the week. So you have split personalities. On, on, on Sunday, on Saturday, it's Jabba Gentiles on Friday, you had the mosque, inshallah, inshallah, inshallah. Immediately you walk away from there, back to life. Whereas in African spirituality, we don't have to run away from what we are you give me a glass of water even the ceremony of accepting the water me before i drink then i must pour a little bit on the ground to remember those that have come before me and then i drink the rest and we pass over the cup to the other person we're sharing he also takes a sip and etc and we sit around and we gather therefore spirituality in its essence is it is it is not a theory but it is practice it is a lifestyle of constant communion with elements of nature so by the time you are coming to its its values of ubuntu then it says you are safe with you but you are also safe with me <laughs> what is mine is yours and what is yours is also mine and when i want it from you i'll give you something you can also give me something we become brothers we that sharing idea um, our mothers my grandmother was quite an interesting old woman she would send me to the neighbor to go and ask for salt and uh, when there's not enough salt but then i ask her go go 
but, but why must I go and fetch salt next door? But there is salt in your house here. She says, no, you must go and ask salt from that poor family because they must also feel that we also ask things from them. And, 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 and we, you go to ask for salt, not because you need salt, but you also want them to feel the egg and by the time you're also returning the bowl of salt, it's not going empty. You, you, you come with salt, when you return the favor, it goes there with a bucket of millimil, a bag of, 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 of maize, cassava, and other things, and the relationships begin to mature in that understanding that we, we share together, we cry together, we eat together. That's why we never used to write invitation letters for weddings, and etc. and funerals. You just take your kudu horn, stand on the side of the mountain, humbu, humbu. Then alam there, what has happened? Someone has died. People come together, cry together. Weddings, it's not about who invitation by invite, strictly by invitation. You invite who? The community is getting married. The community is getting married. We are all coming to eat here. And we are all, and the, the, the poor old lady who has lost her husband, community gathers together, go to the old woman, help her to plow her fields, help her to work together and and for me, that ethics of community constructs kept the community together. Whether you wanted to marry, you don't have enough cows, the brothers and uncles come together, they contribute, and you must go to the in-law's house, you must work there, get your bride. What is, so, but, but, when, but when white people are looking at you, you're selling your children. Because you don't understand the culture. So just stay away. Stay away Ubuntu. Ubuntu, hence I said a very reckless, reckless statement, which I will repeat on your show, where the two, Bantu concept, which is an African two, uh, white people are not classified as Bantu. And because they are not classified as Bantu, in African languages, Bantu means human beings. And since, I, since white people are not Bantu, maybe they don't have Buntu and they cannot be counted on the list of human humanity because being a human being is being humankind. It is being mankind. You are kind to other human beings. You are mankind to other men. So what kind of a people would be manufacturing guns and bombs go and kill other human beings? Are those human beings? Is that, is that Ubuntu? We have a whole country that specializes in bombs, drones, guns, bullets. For what? Who's going to kill them? So Ubuntu is a preserve, it's a preserve, it preserves the preservatory. It preserves humanity. At the center of it, it is holding life as sacred. And whoever has life needs your support. We live together in harmony in that concept of Ubuntu. And without Ubuntu, we don't have Bantu. And that's interesting because when I think about it, it's like how many times do you hear people saying African religion compared to African spirituality? When you speak about Africa, it's always spirituality. It's not religion, right? I think which speaks back to the sense of community and Julius Nyerere of Tanzania, um, one of the things that he did the best was, or at least he tried doing the best, was creating that sense of community among Tanzanians. 
and that's why we had ujamaa chama cha mapinduzi yes chama cha mapinduzi so we had ujamaa and with ujamaa people were because during that time everyone was scattered all over the place and they were all brought into a village and they were living together as a community and right now it's so unfortunate because we are moving from the community sense and now we are we are we are moving towards individualism because if you look at countries like the US that's their culture right that's what they do that's what they used to and it's so unfortunate that we are adapting that and i was so fascinated when you were speaking about spirituality and when you were speaking about the sense of a community because it's so powerful and i mean i think i see it today in my community when someone wants to build a village they'll just call the other young people in the community well i mean when they want to build a house call the rest of the youth in the community and they help you build the house you know you cook food for them they they build the house everyone is happy you know if someone else is doing the same thing everyone will come together and help them right but we are losing that sense of community and it's so unfortunate because now we are stuck to with ideologies that push us to be individuals such that right now everyone is building fence in their homes they're trying to separate themselves from each other which is so unfortunate because back then there was no fence nobody had gates in their homes because we are a community and so it's interesting when you think about the whole concept of you know going to a relative and asking them for salt how how do we regain that because it seems that we have lost it and it's so disappointing you you can't take your children to to caesar and then you are surprised why do they come back as romans <laughs> so the system of education system of religion that we all pride ourselves i'm educated i'm a degree i'm educated i'm, I'm a doctor i'm a professor i went to i was in massachusetts i was in brisbane i was in frankfurt i was in cambridge and then we hang these beautiful degrees behind our backs to show that we are educated but maybe in all honesty we've gone to school but school has not gone through us we have the papers but what we brought back with us is not education what we brought back with us we brought ourselves as coconuts brown on the outside but the software that runs our brains is a colonial white man the real enemy of the african is the white man inside the black man the white ideologies that sit here so when an african politician gets into power it's not him in power it is the white man in his head who will tell him what he must do which car he must drive what house he must build what fantasies he must fulfill at the end of the day we are actually dealing with a, a, and, and i hope that people with time will begin to understand the depth of destruction the african mind has suffered on the colonial table it is not as easy as we are speaking right now the damage is huge and the repercussions are immeasurable it will take another 
generation to wake up in the morning and see the colonial system for what it really is in its totality and hate the system with such a passion that unity will become our thing and self-preservation, family preservation and Africa as a nation preservation becomes the only agenda that we care for. Because the things that the Western world has told us are important are not important. Yeah, professor, yeah, professor, the day you die, can you leave those doctrines as an, as an inheritance for your children? Can you, can you, can you inherit uh, a piece of paper with someone's name on it and say, hey, your father died, he was a professor. He, he is, the, he is the, 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 can you inherit that? And for us to spend 25 years of our lives studying to get pieces of paper, and yet after studying, we can't even feed ourselves. We can't even heal ourselves. We can't even identify each other and live in harmony. Then how educated are we? It looks like the more educated we are becoming, the more the, the illustration you've just given of building walls and fences. It looks like the more educated we are, the more criminals we are. When we were uneducated, there was, there was no thief. <laughs> you steal what? You ask and you're given. <laughs> So it looks like everything's education concept is, is, is been overemphasized, but in essence, we are actually witnessing the collapse of the African nation. And I've said it and I'll say it again, that Africans are an endangered species, not just for their resources, but in terms of their culture and their identity. The Chinese, the Indians, and the Europeans don't have that problem of identity. They know who they are and they are happy to be who they are. It's only the African who cannot go to work looking like a Tosa or a Zulu or a Bemba or a Kikuyu. You must go to work looking like a white man. God cannot accept you when you are dressed up like a Maasai. You must look like a white man. Then God will accept you. Is this religion or this is colonization? At the end of the day, does God have a problem with me? Does business have a problem with me? Does the school have a problem with me? Or rather, these are institutions which must force people to conform to a certain lifestyle, a certain mindset. And the African continent has tolerated colonial system for a very long time at the expense of our identity and our true sense of values and our moral and ethical compasses have been tempered with greatly. And we wonder why is there so much crime? There is crime because the humanity is leaving us. Why is there so much rape? There is rape because humanity is leaving us. Why is there so much hunger? There's hunger because humanity is leaving us. We used to plow our own food. Now we are being told, no, you can't plow food. You must plant grass at your house. You must plant flowers. Who eats flowers? Who eats grass? And because yeah, this is what educated people do. Then in the morning you wake up also with your small little thing. 
cutting some flowers there. And then you go to the municipality and pay for your water bill for all the grass we're watering in the month. And you look in your fridge and there's no food. And you wonder, where are we losing? So that the elements of true education is self-sustainable education, where you're able to look after yourself, plant your own food. And while I'm on that, you plant what you eat and you eat what you plant. So it's not just planting coffee because you want to go and sell it. What's the use of planting coffee when you have no ugari in your house? You, you plant what you eat and, and then eat what you plant. So we must avoid also this idea of, no, it's just for agriculture, agriculture, for the sake of agriculture. Then you go there with your all your soil and utilized by this coffee, you go there and bring a bag of money. And then it, the same bag of money must now go back and buy some food again to the same people who have messed up your ground, taken away your crop. Now you need food. So you, you lose both the land and the money to feed your stomach. That to me is foolishness of the highest order. One of the works that you are doing and the organization that you founded was Farmers of Thought. And what is your vision for Africa and how does Farmers of Thoughts fit into that? Farmers of Thought is a, it's a virtual institution for young people. It's a rewiring platform for the educated and the graduates where you come into the institution and you have an opportunity of having your mind challenged for adaptation, for practical application of your academic issues. Farmers of Thought is also very vigorous in terms of creating the bridge of oral tradition and turning oral tradition into academic uh, work, work material and books and et cetera. So we would want to see ourselves as we already are, the production of literature, uh, life-changing literature, political changing literature, economic changing literature. It is the software of Pan-Africanism, if you can put it in that way. So there are many Pan-African bodies that are out there that are more into organizations. We want this, we want this, we want this, we want this. Beautiful. But if you look into their eyes and say, but how are you going to do it? <laughs> you would find that some of the Pan-African bodies right now are at the forefront of preaching democracy. <laughs> then you wonder, you're running away from, from, a, from a leopard and you end up in bed with a hyena. You, the, the thinking process of transformative education that says, guys, let's think through this. So Farmers of Thought, I'm positioning it as a resource center for common people. I'm not even interested in making it a high-end academic space. It's for common people. It is an institution for all those who do not have an opportunity to go to university and study. They can come on Farmers of Thought. It's more than 10 years, 12 years, it has been surviving. Go on my Facebook page. Read through all those articles that I always write and start revising position. You don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to agree with me. You even disagree with your own wife, with your own husband, and uh, with your own children. Who am I? So we have moved further to creating uh, an app, which is almost done, I think, by the end of this month, where we will be able to put leadership training materials 
which I will run directly on the page and put lessons there. I will still want to keep it for free, uh, but there's a small little booklet that we've done, uh, Maponga J Codes, which we're going to make available on the internet for people to contribute also, so that we can run the back office of the whole Farmers of Thought. But uh, we've developed quite some interesting thinking tools within Farmers of Thought, which I think beginning of next year, I will vigorously start a, a program throughout the continent and beyond of how do we develop a next generation of leadership. So we're just putting the pieces together in terms of preparation, but it will be a virtual course. So maybe I'll be running lectures there once a week, or once a month, whatever is good. We do reviews, we study, we apply some of those uh, solutions to our political systems and et cetera. And I'm happy to say the least that the political heads of the continent and many political parties and religious people are part of farmers of thought. They might not be in the front to admit that hey, me also am um, farmers of thought, but when you hear them talking, <laughs> you can tell that uh, <laughs> what they are saying, they, they, they had it somewhere. And, uh, and that for me, that's the most fulfilling, just to know that I'm doing my small part to transform the continent and register also my contribution to the development of the continent. You know, they say, find your place in the revolution. Yeah, the other day I was actually thinking if the war in Niger starts, you might you may find me there. I might have to go there in person and go and join the... I would rather die on the battlefront than live as a slave in the backyard of European systems. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. If anyone strikes Niger, they have me to deal with. That's powerful. One of the things I will, recruit, I will recruit, I will recruit young men of your caliber, 10, 15, 20 of us. We will go there and join and join and join at war. We'd rather register our names with truth than live as, as regurgitators of colonial parochial rubbish and recycling Western thinking. It's non profitable. And on that note, thank you so much for all the books that you have been writing. Uh, because this is you passing on knowledge and the work that you have been doing for generations to come. And it's so unfortunate that most of the times, you know, we have lots of great minds that would leave us without, you know, writing books and sharing their knowledge with us, especially we young people right now. And so I am I'm really proud that you're writing books that we can read, we can refer to, and we can pick on your brains even after you're gone. What, so a lot of leaders do not write books in the African continent. They do not, um, I don't want to use the word document really, but create a medium through which they can share their knowledge with young people. And so what has been an, the inspiration behind you writing books and what what's the latest book that you have written and where can we find it? Um, all the books, most of them, I think Amazon can take a lot I've already agreed to distribute some of the books across. Uh, I've done So You Want to Be the Master, which is a leadership book and personal development. We did the Shopping Skills, which is a youth development, self-help, uh, navigating the space of decision-making. Women in the Kitchen, solutions around, practical solutions around women empowerment. Uh, Contested Ground, 
comparison between women and land and how to how not to fight for women but rather fight for land because uh, land is of better quality you must have two wives first wife <laughs> is land second wife is this one so women in the kitchen and then contested ground beautiful piece of work i then did also one uh, 13 it's almost finished now i think it's heading for editing now 13 principles of unlimited possibilities where i'm looking at the esoteric interpretation of uh, just Genesis one, but from an economic and political space. How do we, how can we read the text and see maybe what is beyond the text? And, and it's, it's a beautiful piece of work. It's almost similar to, to the seven uh, natural principles, laws of attraction, laws of what, laws of what, but I'm using mm. the biblical text. It's a brilliant piece of work. It's, it's my philosophical contribution to the academic space. I think it's coming out end of this year or so. Then I did uh, going places in the spirit. Ooh, that was a transition in terms of my pastoral religious work. As, as I started to question things, so sixty percent of the book is questions. It's not even about the book. I I, I was just asking questions, and it's a, it's a book when you read it, you you want to sit up straight. You might not go to church for a couple of weeks just so that you digest it correctly. <laughs> Otherwise. Wow. It, it will, it will <laughs> choke you. I also did Find Your Truth, we, which has just become a bestseller right now in South Africa. We just got an award last week. For Congratulations. Sellers. Thank you. Thank you kindly. So Find Your Truth is in. Then one of my last offerings to the church is a book that I'm finalizing. I write many books at the same time. So it's not like one book. I've not 10, 15 items right now that are on my table. So I distributed my mind quite uh, uh, evenly. It's a book that I had done 2008, but I never got the guts to finish it. But I've just completed it now, uh, Preaching Dynamics, which is a book that has to do with homiletics, public speaking skills, and uh, more or less, I wrote it when I was still fully in the church space, but I never got the guts to, and even if I've moved in terms of my mindset, but to those that are operating in that space, I think that book will be a very good transition in terms of learning the art of persuasive speech and delivery, thinking, the homiletics and the hermeneutics of that brilliant piece of work. I would also think, I think by next year or so, it should be done. Then Maponga J. Coates is finished. I think it will be on the market by the end of this, this, um, this, this month. But my most favorite of them all is the gospel according to Mapumba J, which, which right now we are on chapter 247. So this is like my monumental work where it will be put next to the Bible text. Now here I go all out in harvesting all the oral tradition my grandmothers and grandfathers have taught me. And I'm putting it into literature. As such, many students find themselves trapped because they don't have a reference. We have popular stories, the Chinoa Chenda stories, things fall apart, Ngupiwakiongos, the Solawi Incas, you know, and I think people are writing from far, you know. I, I, I'm on this one, I am. I decided to not to 
argue from outside. I decided to go right into the inside and write a personal, reflective piece of work. So when you see African people putting on beads, why do they put the beads around their waistline? It's for their periods, one, two, three, four, on the seventh day. Then they put orange, then they put white. Now she's, then they put green, now she's fertile. So it's a science, it's a science. And when you don't know what is there, this is contraception, this is, this is technology, which is put in this. And if you don't understand it, you will judge it. If you, so I'm, I'm putting all this knowledge down. Issues of birth, for example, Lobola stories, why, what is Lobola, rites of passage issues, you know, community constructs, inauguration of kings, why, 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 why is a king inaugurated with feathers, with water, with soil, with what, 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 all these rituals that have been demonized. So I, I'm not going to lie that it will be exhaustive, but as much as I can remember and as I can collect, I just hope it will be a start. But the real book will be completed on my on my funeral because that's when I will stop writing. Then you guys, when others are crying and others are collecting my hats and sticks, you better come around and say, please, can we have access to that book? Then you compile it. I think it will be completed by then. So, but I think at 250 or 300 chapters, I'll do the first edition out. Then maybe another two, three years again, I do another edition out. And slowly, as I'm heading towards my 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 resting place, I hope I'll leave enough enough data properly tabulated. And I'd already started recruiting other guys. There's a page on Facebook, African Oracles. Another group of young people have actually decided to start translating it while I'm still alive into their own local languages. And I think I have a guy from East Africa there, done a beautiful job into Swahili, with another guy in Cameroon, and another guy also from Ghana, into Pini, and um, Zulu. So it's, it's quite exciting. And I think whoever is out there would want to become part of the project. I would want to make an announcement, but um, we share my number with them. I'll add them onto the group. The assignment is there. 250 chapters to translate, translate. And let's see how you can transform your own thinking and assist the community around you. Can I support Madali? I think the African way of life is arguably the best way of life for human beings to live. And so seeing you trying to bring this back to life and explaining why Africans were living the way they are living. I mean, I think if anyone was to do a job that they would say, I left my mark on the world. I don't think they could have a better job than that. Actually, the question is, why leave if you don't leave? <laughs> you can't say you're alive and you're not living. So we needed to reach a moment where life itself becomes the expression of life itself. Mm. To, to leave is to leave. And it's not to photocopy other people's brains and regurgitate other people's ideas. To leave is to leave. It is to it is to make impact. It is to realize who you are, why you are, when you are, and add value. Otherwise, why did you come here and you made no difference? If you die, will the world miss you? Will we miss you? Yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to what Mahatma Gandhi said: "My life is my message." And I think for you, that's that's very clear. I mean, even the glass that you're using to drink water right now. That's it. Just briefly and closing. 
what's what's the history uh, or what's the story behind your heart? These are these are sciences. These are sciences of um, see our forefathers were very intelligent. Art is the library of African knowledge systems. Art is the library of African knowledge systems. It was through art there is architecture. You can see designs of buildings and houses. Through art, there is medicine. I have my other hat, which I call decorated thinking, which has all the colors. And that becomes an eating pattern. Eat green, eat yellow, eat red, eat whatever. It also becomes a healing hat because the vegetation and nature is in those colors and the herbs of the forest are in those colors. And if you study again, each color represents a part of the body, which also speaks to the colors of food, which also speaks to the colors of medicine, which also speaks to science in terms of cosmology, light. Which So the level of information that uh, when you look at a piece of art, to someone you can just look like it's a hat, but I'm actually looking at seven to eight, ten layers of information that our forefathers would just make a piece of art and boom, there you have it. So we can go on my head here, you have the black and the white, the triangles that are facing down, triangles that are facing up, you know, the spiritual and the physical the meeting places, the ancestral connection, the four on the left, make your mother, the four on the right, make your father, the grandfathers, four, eight of them, make the two, the two, make the one. It's mathematics. You know, four plus four is equal to two. Huh? And two plus two equals to one. You know, that, 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 that's, that's African mathematics. The four grandfathers, they make two, your mother and your father. Your mother and your father come together, they make you one. So four plus four equals to two, and two plus two equals to one. So when you begin to look into this kind of sciences, this is the kind of mathematics we need to start teaching our children because it is more accurate rather than four plus four is equal to eight. No, four plus four is equal to two. And two plus two equals to one. It's this, this, this revolutionary kind of thinking which upsets the traditional way of thinking, but our African culture is in, 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 in the incubate all these connections from family to genealogies to movement to science to spirituality to family ties to it's it's not just a head it is actually a library and a gift from our ancestors in terms of knowledge you must actually sit down with all pieces of art and study you may just find that there's enough information our forefathers left for us in our art form. I really hope we can make them proud because as of currently, I don't think we are. It takes uh, Culture must not be taught. Culture must be practiced. It's not just something we must talk about. It's something that we must practice because if we don't practice it, it dies. <laughs> Please, give us three things we should start practicing. Right, number one, practice silence. 
10, 20 minutes a day of silence. Listen to your brains, listen to yourself and connect with you. Many people think that they think. Meanwhile, they're just saying what other people are thinking. So you need to use your self as a, a study of self is the highest of all studies. And you can only study self in silence. Then two, learn to be kind <laughs> to yourself and to others that are around you. Practice kindness. Make it fashionable to say thank you. Make it fashionable to say excuse me. Make it fashionable to compliment. Beautiful, nice, be gracious. Be, be kind, be, be human. Practice humanity. Practice being the good person. And ultimately, that goodness is not only for life and people. It's also for trees, it's for animals, for everything that is life. Develop a good taste and appetite for life. And finally, create meaningful relationships with people. Create meaningful relationships with people. Don't look for good life partners. Don't look for good friends. Be the good life partner yourself. Be the good friend yourself. Now don't go out there and say, I'm looking for a good friend. Be, be, the, be the good one yourself. So there are three things I would say important. Silence, human kindness, and meaningful relations. I thank you. And I think they all go back to self-preservation, family preservation, and nation preservation. You are a good student. You are a good student. <laughs> I am glad I am because there are a lot of things that I still need to learn from you, and I hope you can still give me the chance to be able to do that. No, you will look up again and do another interview. That's fine. Thank you so much. Namaste. Asante, Asante, Pierre.